0: This morning though, this morning is easy because it is the uh sort of national uh day or week of prayer and uh, focus on youth. And so we're taking for our text what was just read there, Psalm 78, and it's a very long psalm, but it's the verses 1 to 8 that we're focusing on this morning. And I think uh it's safe to say I can uh, very few, I hope, I can say almost nobody sets off in life as parents wanting less for our children than we got for ourselves, right? A- acknowledging that that maybe some of us have grown up in families and you're thinking of your own parents and maybe maybe it felt like your parents were not supporting you very well or they didn't seem like they were hoping for your success. But But I can pretty confidently say that even in those cases where the parents might have had their own struggles or the parents might not have been well-equipped to really support you, Even so, as parents, there's a deep down hope that our children do better than ourselves, right? I think that's safe to say. In terms of the world, we want our children to be happier and healthier and more disciplined and more successful. And we want them to live longer and have more friends and be in a safer society than our own. That's sort of what we hope for our kids, right? We want them to surpass us. And when we find ourselves occasionally being good parents, then we put plans in place uh, for that to happen. We put uh, systems in place that allow our children to surpass what we were able to do. Uh, we put rules in place in our house to protect them and to teach them right from wrong and to teach them how to be good citizens and to guide them when they're young. Uh, we give them chores and follow through on, on holding them to those to teach them good habits. And uh, we have lessons on manners and politeness and we teach right and wrong and good and bad. And, uh, we set aside money for their education to make sure they have even more than we had to get started. Um, and, uh, we, you know, we send them to camp and we get them piano lessons and we, you know, teach them how to sing and do all those great things and we help them with their homework because we want our kids to surpass us. We want, we want them to go beyond what, what we had in our generation. And as Christians, we should be and are doing the same things spiritually we got to think of it this way. We want our kids, as Christian parents, we want our kids to surpass our own faith. Don't we? We want our kids to surpass their acts of devotion and faith and ministry and service to God than we were able to do in our own lives in our own generation. We want them to have a greater expression of the spiritual gifts than we were able to mature into. We want them to have a greater confidence during crisis and greater faith during hard times. We want them to know the history of God's action towards us and our family and the sense and the depth of His love to a degree greater than what we sense it. We want nothing more than for our children to go beyond us in our faith. We want them to be more bold and we want them to be more courageous and more compelling in their testimony of the Gospel and we want them to be more loving in the way they treat each other and more loving in the way they engage the world and live out their faith. And we provide what support we can while we hope that they stand on our shoulders and are able to reach heights in their faith that we didn't reach in our generation. And that's a good hope. That's a good desire. It's good that we desire more for our kids than we were able to accomplish for ourselves. In fact, that desire is exactly what God has commanded from the very beginning would be the desire for our church. Just as Allison has read those various texts from the Old Testament that speak of God encouraging His people to be passing on to their children the testimony of who He is, so that not only would they never forget, but they would even surpass what the generation before accomplished. And as we look at Psalm number 78, we see how God intends and how the psalmist is obedient in teaching the next generation what it means to have faith in God. And so Psalm 78 is listed in the heading. If you if you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 78 or you look at it up there, I'm just going to leave it up there for the whole sermon so you can sort of follow along. It's listed in the heading as a a miscal of Asaph. And now a miscal, there is no English word miscal, right? It's just a transliteration of the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is miscal, and we don't know what it means, so we just stuck it in there as Hebrew. Uh, rather than pretend we were stupid and didn't know what it meant. So uh, it's a, a, a mascal, I mean, I mispronounced it even, a mascal of Asaph. and a, It's a song or it's a poem. We presume it means something musical, but we just don't have enough to know exactly what it means. Of Asaph, which is uh, the composer of this particular psalm. And he's listed as a composer of many psalms along with David and others. And he was the chief music guy of King David. Okay, That's who Asaph was. And if you go to 1 Chronicles 16.3, if you're curious, you could go there and you could find out how David appointed Asaph as one of his sort of chief music guys. And it was his job as a Levite to serve in the temple and to serve the priests and to serve in this way. And they cared for the Ark of the Covenant and they assisted the priests in their duties with sacrifices and things. That's what the Levites did. And so here we have this, this chief musician, Asaph, and he has written in Psalm 78 a very helpful song. It's a teaching psalm. It's it's a very specific purpose to be obedient to the command of God to help the priests and the people of Israel to pass on the knowledge of God to the next generation. And as you read through Psalm 78, you'll see as you get past verse 8 that he goes into the whole history of what God accomplished for Israel. And so Asaph here is trying to help us. He's written this great psalm or this poem in order for us to helpfully be obedient in the nation of Israel at his time to be obedient in doing what God commanded and so as we look at these first uh, ver- first eight verses of this song, what we're going to be looking at is very simple, three things. Who is speaking and who is listening? Who is speaking and who are they talking to? What are they saying and to what purpose a result? And so we start in Psalm 78, 1-8. He says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old. Things that we have know, heard and known that our fathers have told us. So if you were just to read these verses in sort of a normal speed, and you read through it and pick up what Asaph intends by them, you would fairly quickly see that he intends for fathers or parents to teach their children. Right? You pick that up fairly quickly, just, you know, it's a, it's a song or it's a, song, a poem about fathers or parents teaching their children is presented as a father passing on stories and wisdom and instruction that were spoken to him and passing them on to the children things that we have heard and known that our fathers told us he says those are the things that we are to say and that would be absolutely right that's what the psalm is about is about a generation passing on to another generation so you start there that's the easy sort of picture of the of the generational teaching but as you reread it I just want to go a little deeper into it because as you, as you reread it, you sort of notice some subtleties in the way that Asaph has decided to write this. And first he says, listen to my teaching. So the first teacher is Asaph He's, or, the, or the Levite or the priest who would be saying this to the nation of Israel. He's saying, listen to my teaching as a teacher. And so the first teacher is Asaph or perhaps a priest or another Levite who's, who's actually singing or saying this psalm and then in verse 3 he says they will teach the things our fathers told us so who's he talking about there? he's talking about our fathers telling us he's talking about his generation it's like what we're doing right now so the first layer of teaching that he's actually talking about is that we have to teach ourselves the things that our parents taught us we have to teach to our own generation that. That the, the words he starts saying with is we priests and we Levites and we people who heard these stories from our fathers need to teach ourselves these things. We won't neglect to teach our own generation what we were taught. And that's us right now today. This is what's going on right now is, is we're teaching ourselves the things of God. But then he goes on to say in verses five and six here that there's a command to teach, teach children. He says, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them and children yet unborn. So, so that we also then as parents are to teach our children, of course. That's the second layer or the second level of teaching going on. We teach ourselves and we rehearse and we remember among ourselves and then we teach our children. But then it's interesting to me as he keeps going is that he's also speaking to the grandparents. Because in verse 6 here we have old Asaph here. He says that we should in the future tense arise and tell them to their children. He says that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise, and they will arise and tell them and teach their children. So, so who are the children yet unborn? It's the children of our children, and so there's a there's a generational thing, one generation down to our kids, but then there's the teaching of our children's children. Where to, you know, grandparents, these are your grandkids and these are your great grandkids. You know, who's doing the teaching in all of this sort of layers here? He starts by saying it's us. We all need to teach ourselves. We need to teach our own generation the things that our parents taught us. And then he says, parents, you're supposed to be teaching your kids. And then he says, grandparents, you have teaching to do too. You have to teach your grandkids the things of God. And so that's who's speaking and that's who should be listening. And so how are we doing with that? right? I, I think we do a pretty good job on on Sunday morning at least, right? We open up the Word and we and we teach and we learn and we have Sunday school going on downstairs and we're teaching the next generation in Sunday school. And uh, so I think on Sunday morning we're doing a pretty good job of this. But are we all in small groups? Right? Are we all teaching each other and telling each other the stories of God in our lives, maybe outside of Sunday? Are we getting together on a Wednesday night or on a Thursday night or on a Tuesday night? And are we getting together expressly for the purpose of saying, hey, I want to share what God is doing in my life. I don't want to forget the things that God is doing. I want to encourage, we want to encourage our own generation. Applying our words to each other's, each other's life. You know? So we need to be doing that with each other. Or parents, how are we doing as parents sort of outside of Sunday morning? Are we just kind of passing on uh, the the job of teaching our kids to the church and just saying, well, they go to Sunday school and so I'm done, right? Or as parents, are we listening to what Asaph is saying here, what God is saying in his scripture and in his commands that we are teaching our kids? One thing as parents we have to understand is the responsibility is not all in the church. You're going to be accountable for your kids someday, should God ask what happened to the training up of your children, you won't be able to say to God, you won't be able to say, well, my church didn't do this, or my church didn't have that program, or my church it didn't do that. You know, it's going to be to you. The church, we church leaders and the church will have to answer someday for the things that we taught and the way we did things, but we're not going to answer for your kids the same way you're going to answer. And the command of God in the Old Testament and the reminder of that command here in this psalm, parents, is that it is your job to be constantly, daily, putting the Word of God and the memory of God and the history of God before your children. And so do you have times when you purposefully speak about God to your children? Right, And it doesn't have to be explicitly Bible devotions, uh, but it should sometimes be that. And uh, But it's also applying it to their life through teaching moments when they arise. Does something happen at the supper table? And you have an opportunity to say, well, you know, I understand what happened to you at school. And, uh, you know, that reminds me of something that happened in Scripture. Or that reminds me of something about the nature of God or the character of God and how he teaches us to be respond to that. You know, or when something happens with their friends, or something happens at work with them. You know, they come back from Foodland or wherever they happen to work, and you know, they're talking about their day and what happened. And you say, Yeah, I I hear what you're saying there. And you know what? There's something God has to say about that, about how we are to act rightly uh, under bad bosses, if you would. We're listening uh, to uh, to 1 Peter a few weeks ago, right? And so we just speak into their lives. So parents, it's our job to be able to constantly be teaching the next generation about the things of God. And grandparents, grandparents, you are the safety valve for a wayward generation. Just like in Israel itself, there arose generations that did not follow God. Their parents didn't follow God, and their children would not follow God if they only listened to their parents. But there were grandparents and great-grandparents of the previous generation that preserved and passed on the knowledge of God and His nature and His deeds to the second and to the third generations. So there are grandparents who are standing in the gap for grandkids because maybe in your family the parental generation has abandoned God. And so the grandparents have a duty here to preserve the memory and the history and the knowledge of God and the gospel in the family. And grandparents, you have a job to stand in the gap for your grandkids. There's no such thing as retirement in Scripture. You can go front to back in that book as much as you want. You won't find retirement. It's not in there. That's just something we made up. you know. So grandparents, you have a job to do here too to support your kids in their parenting, but then to reach out to the great great-grandkids and the grandkids. And then I also ask or I wonder how we are doing on being the listener and being the learner because that's part of this too. Asaph is teaching. The Levites are teaching. The priests are teaching. But how are we on listening and learning? Making it easy, especially youth, uh, making it easy on your poor parents to show you what is wise and what is good and what is profitable to you so that you don't have to fall into the same mistakes and fall into the same error that our generation fell into. Because we want what's better for our kids. We don't want them to follow us in our rebellion. We don't want them to follow us in the mistakes we made, and in our doubt, and in our falling away from the faith, and coming back, and in our hesitation, and in our lack of courage. We want them to go beyond all of that. And we don't want that for our kids. We want them to surpass us in our faithfulness. So that's who's speaking. It's the It's the Levites and the priests. It's us teaching ourselves in our own generation. And then it's us teaching our kids. We're speaking the words of God to our kids. And then it's grandparents. Everybody is doing the teaching and also doing the learning. But what is being spoken? What are we supposed to teach? He says, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Listen to what I have to say. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old. Now, first of all, when I go to this text, I just want to address the reality here that I will utter dark sayings from old sounds really cool. Um, you know. So if you're having trouble getting your kids to come to Bible Devotion Time, don't call it Bible Devotion Time. Say, come on, kids, I'm going to utter dark sayings of old. Because it's just cool, right? And, uh, you know, there's dark sayings of old going on tonight in the living room. Come find out about it. But in Hebrew, it's 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 naba kidah, or actually, sorry, I should pronounce it like Hebrews would naba kida, naba kida, and uh, what it just means to to pour out mystery. Okay, the darkness is the mystery of it. He's saying, I'm going to speak mysterious sayings from old. In other words there's a there's a there's a profound meaning to these stories of old and I'm going to unpack those profound or those dark meanings for you. That's what it means in the Hebrew. There's a dark or a hidden meaning from these stories of old and that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the things that God did and I'm going to un- I'm going to unpack for you and I'm going to explain to you the mystery of the parable. That's that's why he uses the word parable in there. I'm going to unpack the meaning of these things. And what are they? They're things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. The glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob. And Jacob is Israel. Israel is the nation. Okay, So He established a testimony in the nation of Israel. A testimony is a a witness, a, a speaking to the world. He established a message in Israel. He put a message in the nation of Israel. And He appointed a law in Israel for us to learn. And so as Asaph is writing this song and as the priests are are singing it or chanting it, the, the people that they're speaking to are the Israelites. And so the teaching here is that the history of Israel and of God's actions with their people, that's what they're to teach. They're to teach about what God has done in the nation because he's put a testimony, he's put a story right into the nation of Israel and he's given a law to the nation of Israel that means something. And so here's what's going on in the psalm, and here's what's going on any Sunday. We teach, actually, from the Old Testament and teach from the New Testament the, the stories of God. Asaph sees a single principle in all the complexity of Israel's history. Okay, He sees that in the nation of Israel, God has embedded this, almost like this, this this code or this message in the actual history of Israel of what's gone on. And it's their job to speak those things and to teach those things that God has put into the nation of Israel. And we're not going to go into all the details of what he teaches from history. That's the next 64 verses. You could go home and just read those next 64 verses to your kids or to yourself. But very briefly, he provides two basic reviews of history in, in those 64 verses. He introduces them by a preface, uh, and then he teaches something from it. And the first one, in verses 9 to 11, he states that the Lord's people were defeated because they forgot. So he says, here's one of the things I'm teaching you is that the Lord's people are defeated because they forgot to do this, because they forgot to remember God. And then as he goes on to the second one a little bit later in verses 40-42, to he traces their rebellion against the Lord to the fact that they didn't remember. So he says they were defeated because they forgot, and he says they rebelled because they didn't remember. So here's a couple of lessons for you from the history of Israel, he's saying, that we need to pass on to our kids. If only they had not forgotten, then the enemy would not have triumphed. If only they had remembered, then they would have lived obediently and not rebelled. And so we are to learn from that. We're to learn from this message that God has put into the nation of Israel that we are not to forget, that we are to remember so that we won't be defeated and so that we won't rebel. And it's the power of rehearsing the law and rehearse, rehearsing the history and preserving what is right and true from generation to generation, as ASAF wants his people to do. It's the power we tap into, say every November 11th. Right? We do this in modern times. In, uh, you know, we have Remembrance Day where we say, lest we forget, and we remember the 20-some million people that gave their lives in the Second World War, in the First and Second World War. And we create institutions of remembrance so that we won't forget the errors of the past. And that's exactly what's going on here. It's why Jesus instituted a memorial feast, right? Why we why we come to communion once a month. Why Jesus said, do this from now until I come again, so that you remember the covenant that's in my blood. Right? We do these things to remember. And that's exactly what Asaph is trying to set the tone for here with Israel. And it's actually connected back to our books our, our look at Peter. You remember Peter's earnest desire in Second Peter one twelve to thirteen, right? He said, I'm gonna leave this tent. My tent's gonna fold up, but I want you to remember, I would stir you up by way of remembering so that you would remember all that you know. Right? So there's this theme here of remembering. This is what we are to teach. And it's why twice the Apostle Paul tells us that the things in the Old Testament in the Scriptures were written down for our instruction and benefit. He says that in Romans 15, and he says it again in 1 Corinthians 10. He says these things were written down for our instruction. And so that's what's going on here. You have parents and grandparents teaching their kids, going back into the history of God and saying God has written a message here for us, and He's written it large in the story of an entire nation. And the idea behind all of this is that Jesus should be a household name. God should be a household name in our houses. The nature and action of God should be household and family stories. Now, maybe some of you are hockey families, right? And when I was a kid, I remember when I was, when I was a kid growing up through the 80s, um, you know, Wayne Gretzky was a household name, right? There was not a day that could go by that you did not know what Wayne Gretzky did the night before right you know the shot he took you know the record he broke you knew the deke that he put on some guy the shot that he took from behind and bounced off the goalie's back and put it in right like wayne gretzky was just a household name everybody knew who wayne gretzky was and the greatness of his exploits and they just we just called him the great one right and so wayne gretzky it didn't matter who you were you knew who wayne gretzky was he was a household name and everybody knew what wayne had done And that's the idea here. Everybody had stories of what they had seen Gretzky do. Everybody had stories of their encounters with Gretzky. You know, if they had happened to bump into him or if they grew up with him or they ran into him at a rink somewhere. He was a household name. Everybody knew his statistics. Everybody knew where he was playing, what he was doing. And Asaph here is saying, that's what God should be in our households. God should be a household name. We should be able to be bragging about what God is doing in our lives to our kids. Our kids should know God's statistics right? They should know what his stats lines are. How often does God win? All the time. How often does God lose? Never, right? It's a simple stat line. It's easy to remember. But, <laughs> you know, he, he, there should be stories about what God has done. He should be a household word about what Jesus has done. A constant thread in our stories of our family and what we've done. A constant reference point. He's a household name. That's what we are to be teaching. That's what we are to be speaking. And, and kids, by watching us, our kids, should know just by watching us, how prominent and how important God is to us, right? Rather than how prominent and how important, say Wayne Gretzky is to us, or the new guy from what's his name? Crosby, Crosby that's it, Sidney Crosby. Yeah. I couldn't remember. Who do our kid the question is, who do our kids think are pro, is prominent in our life? Who are we speaking about the most? That was the second point, what we're to be speaking on. We're to be speaking on the nature and the history and the actions of God in our life. Thirdly, to what purpose are these things being spoken? It says in verse 7 and 8, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but to keep His commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. And so it starts with hope. The reason that we are speaking these things to our kids, the reason we are speaking these things to our grandkids and passing down the teaching of God is meant to extend to the next generation the hope of God from the previous. And this is the method that God intends for hope actually to come into all the world. By speaking these dark sayings of old, by speaking these mysteries of who God is and how He's acted among His people, this is how God got the whole message of hope started in the first place. I mean, if you want to rewind it all the way back, it all started with one man, Abram. You remember Abram, right? This is before he was Abraham. It started with Abram. And you have this Abram guy, and he's in this hot, dusty town called Ur in the Chaldean region about 4,000 years ago. And God's plan for Abram was what? He promised him a son. He promised Abram a family. And He said that family is going to become a nation. And that nation is going to be a testimony to the world. And so God's plan for bringing hope to the world is what? His plan was to take a father and a mother. He's going to take some parents and he's going to give them kids. And he's going to say, you're going to teach your kids about me and your kids are going to teach their kids about me. And your family is actually going to become a nation. And that nation is going to bring the hope of God to the whole world. And so this thing here in Psalm 78 that Asaph is talking about. This command that God has given us as parents is not just good advice. It's not just this would be a good thing to do if you were a parent. This plan here is actually how God's hope gets into the world and into all the generations. It's how He started with one man, one set of parents, and one son. And He created a nation. And that nation brought the message to the world. And so this is God's plan of His testimony of hope. It's not a small thing that we do here. It's not an unimportant thing that we do here to raise our children and our grandchildren in the knowledge and the hope of God. And it's not a small thing we do here as a church with other Christian families, right? To make sure that our kids are part of this greater nation, this Christian nation. God intends the church to be a royal priesthood, a chosen people, we learned in Peter, right? That we are a Christian nation. And it's His intent that our kids would be a part of that nation. And so there's a very important thing here that's going on that's more than just an hour on Sunday. An hour on Sunday is just one tiny slice of the expression of what God is expecting of His people towards their parents. I mean, we have people teaching Sunday school on Sunday morning, and that's great. But then we have Wednesday night, the Wednesday night family night through the year when Christian families who are intent and purposeful about raising their kids and having their kids have friends who are Christian kids and raising them within a community of faith. That's important that Wednesday night. And then we have VBS coming up, and where we are going to sow into kids from the church and also kids from the community to teach them and tell them stories about God to the next generation. And so VBS is very, very important. It's part of what we are doing to follow this command. It's all part of God's plan for how hope is going to be passed on to the next generation. And from that hope that we pass on comes the conforming of our lives to live for God and the keeping of His commandments. Notice that's what he says. He says first that they would set their hope in God. And so we pass on this hope and this faith in God to the next generation. And this is what the result is, is that they wouldn't forget the works of God, but they would keep His commandments. And here's where we come back to where I started. That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation of generations whose heart was not steadfast, but they would be faithful. They would have a faithful spirit. And so when you look at that, you realize that from that hope that we implant then comes obey obedience. It comes faithful living. It comes aligning of their lives properly, right? It's the purpose that our kids don't end up like us, right? That that we look back on our own lives and we think we could have done more for God. I could have lived out my faith more boldly. I could have done more with the people around me. I could have loved my community more. I could have loved my church more. I could have, I could have done, I could have done more. And that's what I want for my kid. I don't want my kid to lead the life that I lived by faith as much as I might be satisfied with it. I want them to surpass me. And so he says there, he says that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but then they would move on to keep his commandments and they won't be like us. They won't be like you, slacker parents. They're going to go beyond you in their ability, and we need and we need to see that this was this was a pattern of Israel, and it's a pattern of the church. There are, there are generations when the church is in ascent, and there are more and more people coming into the church, and more and more people coming into the faith, and more and more people uh, living sold out lives for God, and then there are generations that come along. Which we have to look squarely in the eye. Generations that come along like ours, where the church is in decline, where the world seems to be winning, where God's nation seems to be shrinking, where the number of people who are calling on His names are becoming less and less and less, and we seem to be losing the world, the war against culture. And that declining generation, God says that we are to pass on the hope so that our children then become. The inclining generation, so that they surpass what we're doing in our generation. And God is faithful every time. The nation of Israel would turn from God, and He would rescue them, and they would turn back. And I see that same thing happening now. For two, three hundred years, the church was in ascent. The church was sending missionaries, the Western church was sending missionaries around the world. The churches were packed. Everybody was there. And then for the last hundred years, the church has been in decline. So the reality, parents, is, is we're part of this generation that has not kept the church moving forward as we should. But it's our job to teach our kids to be the next generation that recovers the church. And God will do it. And he's doing it in other places around the world. And so that's our duty. That's our command. And so what do we do to this then? We set aside a lot of time and our energy, in our lives, and money, and resources to make sure our kids succeed in the world, don't we? You know, like we, we set aside money for them so that they can go to school and uh, we put systems in place for them to accomplish things in the world. We, we put them in lessons and we put them in practice and we get them tutors and we, 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 we put them in systems to make sure that they succeed. Are we doing the same thing with them spiritually? Are we doing what we should be doing as parent, parents to make sure that our kids surpass us in our faith? Do we put systems in place, you know, more than just... a you know, once or twice a month we go to church and maybe we come to the odd potluck and, and that's about it. Are we making sure that our, church, that our kids are engaged in the church and engaged in their faith and that we are putting systems and programs and resources and time and energy in place to make sure that our kids surpass us in their faith in the same way that we do ensuring that they surpass us in the world and in culture. I mean, we do something, obviously. You're here today. You know, that's awesome. So I'm speaking to the choir a little bit. But Sunday isn't all of it. We need to set aside as many evenings for their growth in the church and in their faith as we do in culture. And we need to set aside the resources for their spiritual growth the same way we set aside resources for their cultural growth. And we need to surround them with expressions of our faith just as much as we surround them with expressions of culture. What would it look like in the church if we took up this command of God seriously and we took up our duty and our responsibility seriously to make sure that above everything else, that the next generation did not surpass us in education and wealth and the success of the world, but the next education surpassed us in faithfulness to God and the next generation surpassed us in uh, building the kingdom of God and reaching out to the community with the gospel? What would it look like if we were equipping our kids for that success? As much as we equip them for cultural sophistication and success. That's what God is calling us to. The duty to the next generation is that we have God as a household word, a household name on our lips. That as parents and grandparents, we are pouring into their lives the history of who God is and what He has done and the stories of who He is. And the church is here. We will help you in every way that we can to do that. We will be here every Sunday. We will have the Wednesday night running. We will have BLAST and we will have Riot and we will have TRIPS and we will have VBSs. We will support you as much as we can in that. But ultimately, it's a generational responsibility. It's the parents and grandparents that are going to teach the next generation the things of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Asaph and him writing this psalm to help us that we have ready-made for us the, uh, the history of Israel laid out there to teach us a couple of lessons. And there's a hundred other lessons. That's just a couple that Asaph touched on. But Lord, you wrote large for us and preserved for us in your word the history of an entire nation to teach us about your character and about your faithfulness to, your, to us. And so, Lord, we pray that we would teach not just from the Old Testament and not just from the New Testament, but from our testament, from our testimony of our own lives, that we would teach the stories of our great grandparents and our grandparents, or even if if it starts with us, if we're the first generation in our family, that we would teach our kids our story, our testimony of what God has done, what God did to rescue us, what God did to save us, and then what God has done to show up in our lives time after time after time. When that mortgage money came out of nowhere one time when 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 we were sick and we got healthy when the timing was just right when when you did things in our life that we never expected when just that those stories would be easy on our lips and that the teaching of your word would come easily at the supper table and it would come easily during times of crisis and it would come easily when our kids are facing uh, moral questions and they're struggling with relationships that what would just naturally flow out of us would be the teaching of your wisdom and of your law. And so, Lord, equip us to be those kinds of parents. Equip us to be those kinds of grandparents. That we would be parents and grandparents that are passing on to the generation and the next generation. The greatness of who you are. The hope that we have in you. And from that hope, how we conform our lives to be obedient out of love to you. Lord, that is your plan for the world. It is that simple. Parents, kids, and a testimony of your greatness. We started with Abram. It's come all the way to us in 4,000 years. And it's your plan for the future. So make us faithful in this simple thing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.